Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your hosts, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. I'm back at it. Your host, Al Gore. I'm here with my Mike guy. Co-co-host. Mike guy. Mike guy. <laughs> Mixer. <laughs> uh, what does Bill call it? Bill... Bill calls it like a boom guy, something like that. Boom man, Land Psycho. Boom, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, you're the boom guy. You just hold the mic. I just hold the mic for Al <laughs> the whole time. You guys Can can't you see it? it, but he just has his hands <laughs> hold the mic for me, and then he just sneaks in and says stuff. Um, speaking of sneaking in, you can sneak in fifty percent savings. Wow, fifty percent savings by going to dell.com forward slash inside the firm. The thing that people are getting wrong, right? You need to use the user ID, which I'm going to give you, which is also at insidethefirmpodcast.com. Because if you aren't using this, it's not taking off the additional savings, right? So you can write this down if you're driving. Don't write this down. Memorize it using a memory palace and then recall it later because that's what you can do, right? It's 530015704759. Probably won't remember that. But remember this, when you go to dell.com forward slash inside the firm, or let's say you call and you talk and you want to give them a big order, go to inside the firm podcast.com, grab that ID. I'm going to bold it so that you can get additional savings off the ones that you already get. You might think you're cool because you're getting some savings and you think you're awesome. You're missing out on the additional savings that you could get. So you're not as cool as you could be. So be cooler. That's my message for today. And if you want your water hot, and let's say you're trying to make your specifications for your water hot and you're trying to find like a, an instant electric hot weeder, uh, hot, 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 water hot, he- hot water heater. That's why he's the boom guy. That's why I'm the boom guy. <laughs> then I would go to arccat.com and check out their awesome BIM library. So we have been, we, we continually update our building information modeling library because we, uh, we, that's what we do. We love Revit. And so I had one of our, one of our guys take a look at that and I said, hey, I, I want an electric uh, instant hot water heater put into our template. You can also go to RevitRocketShip.com for that, but put it into our t- template because I wanted to see if because uh, we've been getting a lot of requests for uh, from clients to make that happen. We have one. We have one in our new commercial unit. We have one in all the other commercial units. I mean, all the other condos that we built, and then we also have one at my house. They work fantastic. But in order to get that spec, you need to go to ArcCat.com. If you're looking for any other stuff, make that happen. So th- the side point to that is that it's on our template, which we're always updating. And the side point to that is I know it's hard to transition a firm into Revit if you haven't. And one of the reasons why is because everyone's not on the same page and everyone doesn't have the same level of training and everyone isn't using the same system. So if you are thinking about transitioning to Revit, go to RevitRocketShip.com. There you will get our, uh, our whole template system of what we use in our firm. Uh, plus you'll get training and the training will start from the basics and that's where you need to start. You need to start modeling basic shapes, then basic families, then go through a project. Now you won't have time to go through a whole huge commercial project if that's what you're doing, but you get to go through a cabin. So then you get how the structures work, how the levels work, how everything works together. So go to RevitRocketShip.com, training from Lance and I, trained a bunch of different professionals, students, and it's what we use in our own form. Uh, so money back guarantee if you don't like it. And if anybody has any hesitation to do it, just think of it this way. 
is all it takes is less than two days of your time to down get the get RevRocketShip.com. Go go there, learn the tutorials, and learn Revit. And I promise you, you will make up for those two days of lost revenue very quickly. Oh, I, I'm not going to tell you how much time it's going to take you to because that's up to, that's that's up to you and how how you are with with your work and everything. But I promise you, you will make up for it very quickly. Yep. Yep. Well. Um, and the reason I say this, I was just visiting a firm um, in the Houston area and asked them about what programs they use. And they tried to transition a couple times in the Revit's and they had a couple starts and stops. So that could be one reason why, right? If you don't have the same system, if everyone's not trained up, if they're not talking the same language, it it's very hard. So if you are in that position or know that your firm's in that position, or honestly, if if your firm isn't doing it for you, but you know it's coming because it's Revit, it is the future and you should need to learn it because it's similar to people who only hand sketched and people who then decided that they're going to learn CAD. CAD, you might want to learn it for yourself so that you become a leader in your firm. So Got to know it. I've been in Revit. I watched Al. He was drafting something the other day. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Gazebo. <laughs> Making it happen. I was. I was. Um, How was Houston. What did you great. go to Houston for? Tell us about that. You just got back. I was surprised. Came to the office tomorrow. I was like, there's Al Gore. Yep. Did not expect him until noon. There he was. Look at him. Look at him. I was right there. So I went on part of a group. And what I did, what he did, what happened when we came, I'm going to interrupt him now. When he came back in, I stuck the boom right in his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're a great boom man. You're a great, great boom man. So um, I, I went there just briefly to uh, look at a firm. I'm part of a, I'm a, uh, on the board of a company that merges firms together. He's a big deal. A huge deal. So I got a boom guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what this episode should be called. Yeah, boom, boom man. <laughs> Tricks again. Keep going. It's terrible. Uh, so we're looking uh, at an acquisition and got a tour firm, talked to their principal, um, and then, you know, discuss how that would work. Um, and, and, and one thing we talked about and, and that they're doing well about is I think that this is relevant even if you aren't thinking about merging or leaving your firm was who's going to replace you? Who's going to replace you and do they have the tools to replace you, right? Did you train them? Um, do they know what your roles and responsibilities are? Do they know, do they have the relationships with the people that you have? So I think it's just so valuable um, because it can help your firm operate smoothly. And if, if you are in that position that's a little higher up, you will always, I think you should be able to find something to grow into, right? And it helps. So let's say you're not transitioning, but let's say you go on a vacation, right? That person's there to take over. Every time I have a, a major project, I always bring whoever's working on the project with me because there's a lot of times I'm gone or doing something else or in Houston and it just keeps flowing. Meaning you bring them with you for meetings, et cetera. Yeah, keep yep. them on. Yep, exactly. Yep. Keep yep. in the loop. Yeah. So Houston was good. Houston was good. Even talked to... Uh, and to be clear, we're not, F9 is not buying another firm, but Alex was, was part of the consultant group that, yep. where this is going to happen. Yep. Yep. I'm on the board of that that group. Yeah. So that's... Yep. Um, on my on my flight there, you know I'm in the space. So <laughs> he, he Oh, he's in space. Yeah. <laughs> so I just started talking to the guy to the, my left, uh, and then I... And I and I just prodded out of him like what he does and he's in aerospace and then he invited me uh, to his company and I s- got to saw a bunch of cool stuff. Got to saw a command center. Yeah, Houston, watching. of course, right? Yeah. But I was like, hey, I'm going to Houston. I wonder if the guy right next to me is in aerospace. 
Um, and he was. And then I was flying back, and it was Southwest. So, how much do you fly Southwest? Or I've never flown Southwest. That's the one where they herd you like cattle, right? But it's cheaper. I get it. I'm That's boom mic thinking. <laughs> Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what it is. That's why you're the boom mic guy. It's boom mic level thinking. Okay. You gotta level up, man. <laughs> so, so this is. I'll, I'll give you the hack. I'll give you the hack. It's if you're flying alone with your family, whatever. So I'm in boarding group C or or B, which is like one of the last boarding groups. Mm-hmm. But everyone wants either a window seat or an aisle seat. So I think I've flown three times in the last like three months or something like that. And the first time, like I go, I walk past and there's seats in the middle seats, not the aisles, right? But like I keep walking to the back and I go, I bet you no one's sitting up there, like literally front row. So then the next time I fly, I literally, the front row that has all the leg space, I go, anyone sitting there? They go, no. So I sit there. So I'm like, ah, this is the hack. Like if you want to sit in, in front, you sit in the middle. Not first class. No, no. But but front of coach? Just right in the front. At, um. Then you don't have to wait like literally 10 minutes to get the back seat. Then you don't have to wait 15 minutes to, to get, get off. off the plane, mm-hmm. you know. And you'll probably end up in a middle seat anyways, right? Yeah. So on the way back, uh, I asked like the the third row person like, oh, can I have that middle seat? And they said, yeah, no one's sitting there. And it was the husband and wife. So like she screwed it over towards her husband. And then she, <laughs> she's like, yeah, they said there was 20 empty seats. So we were just trying to get a seat in between us. And I just said, yep. <laughs> <laughs> because all those 20 empty seats <laughs> are going to be in the middle. And I, like, I don't want to say like, yeah, I'd rather sit in front in the middle than in back in the middle. So, Do you have any tips though for somebody if they do want to sell their firm? That's what I was hoping you were going get to get, get at with this is like, yes. what are people on boards like you are serving on looking for if you're trying to sell your firm? Yep. Uh, found uh, Good foundation, right? And then also... It, the things what that I went over that, unpeel that do you mean yes do you so, mean you have multiple I mean like are you showing like like so many years of revenue and just like that you don't have these big up and downs yep and, and I'll kind of peel away the onion of, of how it works is that uh, you'll have revenue and you need to have a good amount of revenue um, it doesn't have to be crazy I mean you don't have to be much above a million you could be a little bit less depending on the year right no kidding but your EBITDA which is basically your profit after taxes and all that then depending on how strong your firm is and what your what your future prospects are like you can get 3 to 7 to possibly 9 times your ebitda but it depends on how it's set up yeah more 3 to 5 is the range 7 to 9 sense. is 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 a hard range so let's say uh you have $200,000 profit or let's just make it easy $100,000 profit yeah, yeah. <laughs> then if you are Maybe not, I want to say you, you should be, you'll be strong no matter what, if they're going to consider you, you could get $300,000, right? Um, or you could get $900,000. If you have a million dollar profit, $9 million, right? Or, or, you know, $3 million, right? And how it will probably work most likely is that you'll have to sell or finance it, which means that the banks will only finance about 75% of it. So you will finance 30% of that as the owner and 5% will go to the team and group that is, you know, putting this all together and fees and all this other things. And that means you'll get back that money, but it's on, it's on like a repay basis. Right. But what I mean by a strong foundation, like I don't think you'll be much considered unless, Hey, we have repeat, um, retail clients 
And then we also have repeat healthcare clients so that we're in two different segments. Maybe we have a construction arm or um, maybe we have a corporate client that's been with us forever um, so that we know. And, and then, okay, you have those. Mm-hmm. Now, if your leadership is, is selling, who is going to replace you? How are they going to replace you? Have you already set that up? And then identify those people. Because let's say this happens. I, I just emailed the team this morning. Was like, it with this particular per, was this particular firm? Was it internal people that were going to replace them? Yes. Okay. Yep. Do, do are, was, was this was that a discussion point on the board of like is that a strength? I would think so. I I brought it up absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I asked who because they there's a group of of seven leaders, mm-hmm. and I said hey that that's great, but you're still here for a reason, right? Who are we going to promote to your spot? Is it going to be internal and external? And they said, this person, right? Let's call him James. Yep. Let's call him Mary. I don't care. Yeah. Mary is going to replace me. Um, I, okay. And then told me a little bit about Mary, but let's say, so now a initial proposal will go to them for, you know, negotiating the amount amount. Let's say they accept that. Then there's a whole bunch of paperwork. And then I would say, let's now we need to go talk to Mary Tell Mary what's going on. Tell Mary what your roles are, if she can fill that role, if she wants to, and set up some sort of monetary incentive for Mary to grow the firm also. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's good. I mean, honestly, what a, what an interesting insight because I, we, we like technically, we're kind of at that level now. We could sell the firm, right? Rebrand it, Gore Psycho. But then there's probably oh. not to compete cause. Like, talk about that too. So, I mean, what, what is the catch? You can't, you're not just done, right? <laughs> so I said, I asked him, why are you leaving the firm? What are you going to do afterwards? And then after hearing those answers, would you be okay with a non-compete clause? And he said, yes, he'd be okay with a non-compete clause. So there, and what a the, good way if you wanted to just leave the state though, right? I mean, honestly, like that's a way you could exit. Like what if, what if we said we're done with Colorado we're going to Texas where they it's illegal to have zoning laws, which is awesome yep. in the counties, and we're going to practice down there. Sure. As long as, let's say you had Target as your client. Yeah. Like a and then you'd be like, well, you can't take Target Taco Texas. John's. Excuse Taco. me. Taco John's. I've always wanted to do Taco John after Taco John. Taco have John. you repeatedly emailed them? Because you should set up a campaign. <laughs> like I emailed get... Bill Burr, and then he actually read my yeah. uh, my email on his yeah. podcast, which is hilarious yeah. yesterday. Um, so this is just between me and you. So get on that Taco John's account. <laughs> Nobody else is listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Cool. Would you, so, so interesting, like how you being on a board like that. I don't know. That's like, a, I, can't, I can't imagine there's a lot of people that get to go through that. Would you do it again? Oh. Like, would you just keep doing this? Like, is this a thing that like Al Gore wants to do now? Al Gore Consulting? Um, the same board is looking for more acquisitions, the same group. So I would be evaluating. What is the strategy behind like, so you hear this all the time, right? Like, is like, there's a firm up north, I won't name names, uh, where we're from, uh, up in North Dakota, and they, their idea was like, they want to be the America's firm. Didn't they literally say that or something? I think like, so. Yep. Something like that. And uh, they go up, they go around and they buy all these little firms out, don't they? And then they just yep. conglomerate and yep. become these sort of self-made monopolies. So there's two ways of thinking about this. And um, I think I'm actually maybe, I'm thinking slight... Slightly different than maybe the initial thought of when when this entity was created, because one was, hey, you start consolidating resources, blah blah blah, you know. But my approach would be, 
you don't buy bad companies. You buy good comp- good to great companies and you bring up in the staff someone to be a new leader and all you do is maybe help, right? It, it's more of the Warren Buffett strategy. Like, okay, here is where this is going and then here's where we can help. Like I see opportunities in transitioning. Um, I don't want to use their examples, but let's just say, let's make one up. Let's say they make playground equipment, right? Okay. You guys aren't into, um, teen, like there's, there's actually getting like for older adults, like these play zones, right? We're doing one right now. <laughs> okay. So there <laughs> you go. Remember that? So, so I can, I can see a clear line where let's explain that, right? Um, their reviews, they have uh, great reputa- uh, reputation. Let's get those online and let's get those on the website, right? So there's like external ways to pursue and then there's internal ways to pursue, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it, a light hand, not a come in and, and try to change it. It's, hey, try to grow it from your core competencies. Right. And that's why they want to buy great companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. But, it, but I mean, is, is the idea that there is, is the honest idea that they're just, re, they're trying to reduce competition and get more and more of the market share. Is it that simple? Is that the whole strategy behind this? Uh, or is it just, an, or you know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's got, there's obviously everybody wants to make money. I, I think, I, I don't think, even mean it in a sinister way. No, I, no, no. You know? I, I think also the, let's say there's two or three companies, right? So there was one strategy that, that they were doing that I'm not going to divulge, but I go, Oh, we could bring that to a couple other places, cool. you know, mm-hmm. just small things because what if it's 3% mm-hmm. and 3% increase? Yep. Oh yeah. And if you're billing out where we're billing out, that's a lot of money. Yep. So then, okay, now all everyone in the group gets 3% and then the next year, the other person, you realize, oh, they have something that could be mm-hmm. 3%, you know, and then you just keep going like that. Interesting. Cool. Well, I'm going to take the boom mic away from you now and put it in my face. <laughs> Good. Um, I have a recommendation for everybody to listen to. And uh, it is, if you go to Enoch um, Enoch Sears, the Business of Architecture podcast. Uh, we I think we've been on it once before. We're gonna, actually going to be on it in a couple of weeks. You should watch out for that episode. But I caught, he, he, I caught one of his most recent episodes. It's episode 316. And I highly recommend everybody, as soon as they're done listening to this episode, head over to Enoch and take a look at... Um, that the interview he did is called uh, "Leading a Global Design Practice" with Tom Gundig. I've always been such a, and so is Al, <clears throat> massive firm, a massive uh, um, fan of Olson Kundig Architects. They're just because, uh, like, they're just leaders in what they do. If, if if you don't know who they are, you should at least go look at their website. Um, they are published all over the place. They're an award-winning firm, and they do some of the coolest stuff because they make like movable architecture. And that's literally how we modeled. That's that was our a lot a lot of the inspiration for when he built the first three tiny houses that we did, um, this movable architecture and everything. But I wanted to talk to you, Al, and I, I sent you the episode when you were down in in um, in Houston, and there were some really interesting things that he had to say. And one of the things was, uh, this is a direct quote: "Is uh, the best time to join a firm, join a firm is when it's struggling, because when he partnered up, it sounded like maybe they were struggling." And it kind of reminded me of like you, me of you and I, and like we made a firm when there was nothing and we were struggling. Yes. What do you, what do you think about that? I love that advice. I think it has survivorship bias. What do you mean? So, um, Hey, there, there's 50 billionaires. 
do what those billionaires did. Maybe 400 people try to do what those mm. 50 billionaires did. Yeah, I see what you mean. Survivorship so, bias. Yeah. So I think it's still good advice, but you could for sure join a struggling firm that has a tyrannical leader that's driving into the ground and won't let you implement ideas that could help it. Yeah. So caveat, I would just insert that caveat into that. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. Yeah, but if you Th- go, know what that that I think I probably join is, a firm that has oper- like a struggling firm that somehow you can make a difference in. If, if somehow you know that you can make a difference in, then you then you have an opportunity. And that will allow you to do it. Yeah. Like Alex was saying, I think that'd be the I think that'd be the yeah, you you can't be you can't just be a cog that's going to gets inserted in this machine that's already not working and then they want to allow you to cog. Right. So right. I I think either he knew that and didn't expand on it. Or he got lucky where he was able to join a firm that allowed for flexibility. And then all of a sudden, you know, then he goes, oh, you should join a struggling firm. Yep. The second uh, piece of information that I thought was really, really great was he says uh, he really emphasized how, first of all, I think everybody, this will blow your mind is I'm just a little uh, preview is they have 200. They have a staff of 200. That blew my mind because I thought like there's no, I mean, they do residential and the, you know, everybody usually thinks that you got to, if you're going to do residential, you're probably going to be a smaller firm. Like 12 to 30, like 12 to 30 people, maybe. Is what you were thinking going into yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And we're, we're at, if you count their construction, I think 10, 11 people. And um, we still do, we, we do a ton of houses and stuff. And I even thought the same thing. Like when, like, would we get past 12 and do a satellite and then not do houses anymore? So what he has to say, I was just like, this was brilliant, is residential architecture teaches you something that institutional architecture cannot teach you. It teaches you a sense of humanity. If you just go to large scale, you're totally missing at least the understanding of what it means to be human. Truly well done residential work is just as hard as institutional work because he was giving the analogy, he was giving the example of like some people go from col- go from right from college and they go right to institutional work and they miss the in-between of residential work. And I, I could not agree more because residential work, it, it's so personal. A lot of times you're a counselor between in a couple which is kind of a, you know, it's a challenge. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's like a really big struggle. Um, but it just, it just, I think it humbles you, even from like a dimensional standpoint of you are really figuring out some of the most efficient spaces. Whereas like an institutional building, you walk in some of them and they have these huge atriums. That's what, yeah, I feel like you maybe would be trying to fill up space more than anything um, rather than trying to shrink space because like a lot of, you know, a lot of times you're trying to make the most efficient space, just like that tiny house that I'm looking at um, that, that we built, right? So f- for anybody who ever... If you're if, if you're an architect and you're listening to this and you ever feel like demeaned a little bit by any other architects that you know that are just like wow you just do residential uh, don't ever forget what I just read to you because that to me I was just like that that's powerful I mean I just felt like completely empowered and I actually text one of our friends who craps on residential architecture all the time oh, I, huh I want to know which one maybe you'll write it down for me so I can see yeah. Yeah, so. uh, I'll write it down. But yeah, so and then he, and he goes, "I'll give it a listen." You know, he made a joke about his own house. <laughs> I think but, I can. I think I can guess who. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't take that for granted. And then uh, the th- what I wanted to ask you, Al, is he had a pretty intriguing question: is is architecture your business, or is or is or is your business architecture? Um, and can you have a coherent business plan or system 
to then free yourself up for what you want to do as an architect. Right. And you and we've already talked about this before. And we have done that. And that's why we built the tiny house. That's why we built it next to. That's why we're sitting in the office that we're building that we built now. Right. That's why I think I was able to do my house. Why you're gonna be able to do your house eventually. Yep. And then um which way there's the architecture of your business, what does that mean to you? Or is your business architecture? Business architecture seems more like I'm a businessman who does architecture. Is that correct? Is architecture your business or is biz or is architecture your business or is business your architecture? Business. Yes, I think you're right. That's the way I read it. If, if business is your architect, if is your business architecture, see, no, no, no. If, no, if your yeah, business yeah, is architecture, yeah. then, then I think you're the artist who is letting that completely drive the whole thing rather, rather than yep. is architecture your business. And for us, it really is architecture is your business, which is then right. freed up. Right. I agree with do. you now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the last one was you have to be patient, trustworthy, and generous. And what he was talking about with that one was staff. And so I, I think those three things are 100%. And I have failed at this. And then I'm, I'm trying to get, I've failed at this a few times, mainly when we're sending guys out to the field. And I'm like, you guys aren't moving fast enough. And I learned my lesson when one of our guys snapped back at us about a month ago. You might not even remember this. And he goes, well, I'm trying to be a craftsman. And I go, ah, you're right. Okay. Do, do, it, the, do, it, do it the way you want to do it. And then the product turned out fabulous. And then the, the customer or the client, rather, the yep. owner, was very happy with yep. how their floor turned out, basically. I thought the, the last probably five minutes had so much good nuggets or that were so powerful. And the two that I liked was, um, let's, say, let's say you fail on a project or on a detail or with a customer or whatever. They said, the worst thing you can do is pull back and make them feel isolated about it, right? So that's one step that they learned. I don't know if he said the hard way, but I think it's a powerful step is that, okay, someone, someone did something um, and, and it messed up a, a client or, or a project. You have to engage rather than detach because mm-hmm. then it could spiral. And then the other thing too is that he said, no matter what, you're going to have projects that don't make a profit or go south or whatever. Um, and he said they made they have about it sounded like about four principles and four groups. You need to help out the other group, um, and we have like two groups here. But sometimes they so yeah he was like I do work with the other principles from time to time. Right, we we have like two groups here, but I somehow that was instituted from the beginning. Like if I really need someone, or if you really need someone, you know, we'll like cross pollinate. We'll cross pollinate very easy. Um, and then also it ha- like all, the, all the, all the money is in one. So I don't know if they have it set up so that like the four principles have four different groups. And then like, I, I could see where that might cause some friction. Right. But it, it's, that's what he was talking about. Be, you know, patient, trustworthy and generous, trust the other people and then help out. And I, th- I, when I heard that, I was like, Oh, it was reaffirming because I it was like reaffirming. Had- I think that's what it was. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we'll probably wrap this whole segment up with was if you are about at your 10 year point in your career, I think this will be a reaffirming for you because one of that was one of his, one of his um, big points was he said he, he remembers he was like 38 
you've been practicing for about 10 years. And that's when he was, he finally walked through one of his buildings and he goes, all right, this is just about right. And he, and he finally got to that point. Um, just think if you weren't those last two trustworthy and generous, think about the culture that that would make. This is my wall. This is what's going on. You didn't help me last time. I'm not helping you. The, the quality and strength of their work is a reflection of the quality and strength of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one thing he kind of struggled with was like how are, he, he's kind of like us in the sense where we're like, we have this, we have a, we, we think we have a great culture at F9 and everybody has a lot of fun. We just got back from our, our annual Friday lunch. Everybody, everybody, everybody had a great time. Now the guys are out and working, doing their, doing their thing. But he was like, I don't have, I know we have a good culture. It's just, it got there organically, but it's hard to define what it even is. Does that make sense? Well, because it might be a, as a oil as like, um, though the, that last kind of summing up like, Hey, well, one, he says he interviews the clients, even though they interview them. So they have great clients. Right. Um, and then who was it? Um, Christy Hansen, mm-hmm. when she was interviewed on the podcast, she said, we're not going to do projects that aren't fun. Mm-hmm. So like that probably that one statement or idea pers- just perseveres through their whole culture. Uh, that last statement probably perseveres through this yeah. whole, this whole culture for us. What I thought it was when I was talking to Mark outside, because we actually have like F nine principles, yep. right? Be brilliant at the basics, simple, but profound take ownership. Right. But if you remember what, what we said years ago after we got the BMMD shop and mm-hmm. we asked them what we did so well. And they said, you were on time, you were professional. And in the end you over delivered. There's this bigger project where, there's a lot of projects where we're the ones on time. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who are professional, meaning like check all the boxes. And then in the end, like those things help us over deliver. Like, so that through line that I constantly like push people to say, we're going to be the, like the first ones done in the line, I think goes back 10 years ago to like us realizing, Oh, we can get clients. At, yeah. And then, and then having that reaffirmation, reaffirmation right away. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. All right. I think it's time for uh, Fogly Friday. So for today's Fogly Friday, we have um, an issue in actually Lakewood where they put in a housing cap and now a developer is suing Lakewood because they discontinued their project in their last city council meeting. Um, it was basically saying that the project had ongoing litigation and the developer said that there was no ongoing litigation whatsoever. And then when they tried to ask the Lakewood council members, they declined to comment. So there wasn't a ton behind why they just denied the project. They allowed three other ones to go through. Is for a couple thousand unit project. And, and, and to give some background to it, um, this project was started a couple years ago because it takes a while to get through permitting. Then city, then there was going to be a vote on a limit of how many, how much the city can grow, which is 1%, which I have to repeat is lower than the birth rate. So that seems nuts to me. I just, I have to repeat that. And this is a thousand units. And they said, Oh, this was started before you don't have to do it. 
you don't have to worry about it. And all of a sudden it passed and I'm like, oh, just kidding. You'd now dual apply to this. Yes. Which that's a, that's literally like you would get an email from the planner. Oh, I'm sorry. You actually do apply. Like this does apply to you. And that affects two years worth of works, millions of dollars of investment. Yep. And it was so many units that it would put off developing any other units for a couple of years. Yeah, because they only allow a certain number of these multifamily units. Yep. And that these projects have already taken up for 2020, 2021, and I think almost 2022. So you can't even get anything in until 2023. Yeah. Also kind of dumb. Yeah. Um, anyway, some people um, on Fugly were not too happy with it, uh, mainly <laughs> people living in Lakewood. Um, let's see. My comment was great. It said more NIMBYism will definitely keep people out and make things more affordable. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that's not true. Um, but one lady in particular stood out, um, when someone said essentially the law is going to be, should be called make Lakewood white again. And she said, I really hate hearing this. I grew up in Lakewood and still live here. You clearly don't know Lakewood. Lakewood has a huge Hispanic population becoming larger all the time. Bad development isn't about race. It's just bad development. I believe in affordable housing, but it doesn't have to be cheap and poorly planned. Parking is the biggest problem. Lakewood needs to have requirements for parking that are enforced rather than let the developer determine the amount. So we've done There are parking. Yes. Yes. In Lakewood, and there are parking restrictions. Yep. It, it, It could be higher. I do kind of agree with that a little bit. Longmont's is too high, Lakewood is maybe too low. But they said this is for making it for white people only because it's... So that was the first comment, and this lady's responding saying she hates people saying that. And I go to explain why he was saying make Lakewood white again. It Was it because... I mean, there's some probably assumptions that aren't correct yes. in here. And it, the assumptions are they're limiting the growth so that only... This is, I'm not saying this, but this is where only white people can afford it. That's essentially what I explained. It's like, it's not about Lakewood at the current moment. It'll be in the future for pushing it more towards that. And that's an incorrect statement because people of all races can have any income. It doesn't, you know, right. Yeah. I think the main thing was that it kind of shows how some of these people voted for it for so so short sightedness and not really seeing how much it would affect in the future. They just wanted development to essentially stop. And this is the only thing they could vote on to do that. And it does, they don't realize it's just going to hurt them so much down the road. Well, this is what I, it might not hurt them if they already have their land and people want to live there. So then their house values go up. But then you also can't complain about not having affordable housing or it, it just it still seems very un-American to me. It's like, hey, we've developed this area now everyone else get out <laughs> or don't come. <laughs> yeah. It's like an, they're making an invisible border. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's cool. Is that the only article or was there another topic? Um, if we have time, there was another one. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Um, so this one actually comes up a lot on Denver Fugly when, um, somebody posts a house or something and they say like complain about it. And people are like, well, when it's done by actual architects, it'll be really good. Not just anyone with a CAD design degree. Yeah. And I always comment back 
every building these days in Denver has to be done by an actual architect. Yeah. And I'm using quotations there. Yeah. Because even residential projects, commercial projects, all need to be stamped by an actual architect. And some people just don't seem to understand that. They think it's just some developer coming in with CAD and just making whatever they want. Right. Which isn't necessarily true. Like a lot of these pop tops are the homeowner themselves. And we get these projects and sometimes, I mean, the design isn't the best, but that we're not determining that. Right. A lot. It's owner directed a lot of times. Yes. Like we could present something super cool within their budget and they'll just be like, no, I want it this way. And you're like, okay, yep, it is your house. I will have, I will do that. And then people who don't know that or aren't actual architects who go through the process, then just want to go and blame the architect for bad design. Yep. Yep. And then some people I can hear saying like, why, why would you do that? Why would you do what they say? So we propose good ideas. We propose suggestions for good ideas. We make it life, safety, health, and wellness, but it's literally their house. Yeah. It's literally their house. So we've had people, other architects quit because someone wanted to like move a window. Right. And that's the extreme end. Um, or, or didn't want to do something that they wanted to do. Well, maybe they didn't want to do that because it was more expensive and they value their kids paying for the kids college more than this glass that you think is cool. Like, um, we're not in there. We're here to help facilitate. Um, obviously it's different approaches, uh, but that's the one that we take. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you. Any other funny comments on that one? Um, let me see. Just looking over them real quick. Sometimes there's some real zingers, which are hilarious, but sometimes they're just being mean. <laughs> yeah. They just, everyone, it's kind of just an older mindset on the architect that they, I think in their head, they're just thinking like Frank Lloyd, Wright. He comes in and does whatever he wants. And that's yeah. what the owner gets where it's now it's kind of the opposite. Yep. Well, thank you, and we will see you next week for another episode of Fugly Friday. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. As architects, we are challenged to reveal certain characteristics of ourselves. Because for a few of us, our work exists on a mental plane that is personal for us and for our clients. For all, however, we are also otherwise expected to respond fluidly to divergent external calls that are sometimes less personal than we wish. The static exists in the realm between our recognition of the outside world's perception, certainly as a particular external expectations arise, and the developing persona that we choose to carefully put forth from within. I see this as a positive, as one does not necessarily need to pretend or sound through a false personality, but contrarily, this invention allows one to simply express parts of one's real personality selectively as the situation demands. The essential and distinct personas can be diverse as the social milieus in which the architect is involved. With the client, for example, the architect's role ranges from very empathetic and loving to more of a teacher or guide. Similarly, the role of the architect conforms to the situation 
in engagements with other architects on the construction site. As an academic, as a star when presenting his or her work to the public, or as a talent to be trusted when vying for an important commission. Respectively, the architect can also volunteer as a confidant, a moderator, a collaborator, a business person, or at times a performer, a director, a champion, an iconoclast, and, expectedly, a revolutionary. These various personas are then ideally less empathized presentations of a singular role and more the personification of the openness inherent in the profession. As the personality of the architect evolves, the challenge is to balance the extremes of the diverse milieus with one's own values. While we expect a distinct personality in each architect, it is the openness and lightness in dealing with the demands of the persona that makes us genuine. Being present in the roles we are thrown into without losing the overarching ideal of the persona can prevent us from disengaging from the real. It is important to recognize that within the projection of one's professional personas, there exists the potential that one may possibly identify too closely with the mask or the role, most commonly the star role, and thus somehow become disconnected from one's inner self. In the end, this all influences the architect's ability to achieve a level of human realness and personal generosity that is essential to the making of emotionally moving space. A Delicate Refrain by Rick Joy from Tom Cundig Houses. Toodles! I feel like that was a... Um, that was kind of exactly how difficult it is to explain a good set of studio culture and maybe the better... Or even a good building you know the, you hear this word like there's actually there was a podcast called Archispeak, um and I, I i don't know why why do you think we struggle to explain those two things well I, I here i think it's very i think it's powerful to be clear right to say this is the way it is but life is messy and life, life is nuanced so in that example he was trying to t- capture that nuance by what i said right before this was like it was like a sentence within a sentence so it was like a clarifying within a clarifying within a clarifying so it was a little bit messy and it got to you know maybe a deep truth um but there was a lot lot to it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was deep that was a deep one nick uh, that was a tough one. That was a that was a tough one just to try to have a have a clear, coherent reaction to it. It is Friday after lunch, also. It is Friday after lunch. We did have we did have giant plates of Mexican food, yeah, uh, which were delicious. But man, are we? Uh, there there should have been a warning. Don't read this. Don't listen to this after eating giant plates of Mexican food on a Friday. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay, well, I think it's time for uh, ARE Jeopardy, and so let's bring in. Let's bring in the crew. 
Here we go. Question number one. According to IBC section 1205, the minimum net glazing area shall not be less than blank percentage of the floor area of the room served. Okay. A, 2%. B, 5%. C, 3%. D, 8%. The minimum net glazed area shall not be less than blank percent of the floor area of the room served. A, 2%. B, 5%. 3, 3%. D, 8%. And the correct answer is D, 8%. And we had A, D, C, B. All right. Don't ever forget that. 8%. A court. Weird one. We got called that one before a long time ago. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to IBC section 1203.5.1, the operable area of openings to the windows shall not be less than blank percent of the floor area being ventilated. A, 4%. B, 2%. C, 6%. D, 8%. What do we got? What do so we if got? You're, yep. Ventilating that room, what percentage of the floor area should that ventilation be? Do-do-do. The answer is a 4%. 4%. Hey, three, three people got it right. Look at There we go. All right. Number three, what is a graphic representation of the value of the bending moment at any point along a beam known as... A, graphic diagram, B, structural diagram, C, moment diagram, D, bending diagram. Do you need it repeated? Yeah, that's a weird one. What is a graphic representation of the value of the bending moment at any point along a beam known as A, graphic diagram, B, structural diagram, C, moment diagram, D, bending diagram? That question was like that. Nick's reading today, yeah. (laughs) All right, we got... Uh, so the correct answer is moment diagram, which, which is, is C. Wow, a lot of people doing well. A lot of people doing well. Good thing we got that tiebreaker coming up. Number four, what is a short rafter between hip rafter and eave or between valley and a ridge known as? A, gym rafter. B, jack rafter. C, bridge rafter. D, rafty boy. <laughs> Haven't thrown that one out in a while. Uh, <laughs> Need a... Uh, the question again is, uh, number four, what is a short rafter between hip rafter and eave or between valley and ridge known as A, gym rafter, B, jack rafter, C, bridge rafter, D, rafty boy? Mm. What do we got? What do we got? The correct answer, just so you know, is jack rafter. Which is what letter? B. Three again. Okay. Uh, what's, the, what's the score at? So we got, somebody got four. four three, three. 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 It's a sweep. Ah. Call yeah. that call that a hack trick. All right, hockey guy. All right. All right. That is it. Uh, so if you like this podcast, please do what our boom mic guy says and leave us a four or five star review. Probably oh, five, five, star. five star review. Or go to RevitRocketship.com where you can learn Revit. And I think that is it for us. I only have one small request, and that is send us some more listener questions. Because when we got four, we got bombarded one with the last last week with four of them and then we had none this week so send us some and we'll be happy to answer on next